Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good afternoon and good evening and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. As always, it's me, Chris from Lace Partners. I am joined by, I think you're my most podcasted partner, Emily Onis, because I think it's you and I more than anyone else, even Aaron. He loves to go on a podcast. But Ems, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you, Chris. And clearly, I just love talking to you too much. Well, that must be. <laughs> and we obviously also like talking to our guest because he's not new to the podcast yeah. either. We've no. got Roly Walter, who is the founder of a business called Appraised. Roly, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. And thank you very much for having me back. That's all right. That's all right. You're becoming a podcast veteran. When you get to <laughs> 10 podcasts, you get a gold star. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Today's podcast is going to be about creating an outcomes-driven performance culture. And the three of us had a conversation oh, about a week ago on this mm. and said, let's do a podcast on it. So here we are. But before we go in, delve into the details of what does it actually mean to create that outcomes-driven performance culture, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, and then also appraised as well for those who maybe haven't heard the, the first time that you spoke on our podcast? Okay, with pleasure. Right, my background, I'm an engineer by trade, I suppose. That was my uh, university degree. Went into consultancy for a while, doing performance management training and coaching. Did a, a massive project with a foreign office a long time ago, which was really fun, doing performance management training with ambassadors all around the world. And then more recently founded Appraised, more recently, I say about 10 years ago, founded Appraised, which is a system that is designed to create a culture of performance within an organization and been working on building that up over the last 10 years. Cool. Let's delve into the nub of our chit chat today, creating okay. a performance-driven outcome culture. What exactly do we mean when we're talking about that? Give us a helicopter view first from your perspective, what that actually means. Okay. So an outcome culture is one that I suppose is opposed to an output based culture. That's that's the kind of distinction that we're trying to make here. So we're trying to get everybody in an organization to think about what are the outcomes that they are working to create. And the outcomes would be their customers' outcomes, perhaps, or, or the business's outcomes. So a business outcome might be to increase revenue or market share or something like that. But its customers' outcome might be for customers to find it easy to, I don't know, book a family-friendly holiday online. And what we're trying to do here is get employees to think about how they can achieve those outcomes comes in their own manner, if you like, rather than just thinking, okay, we want this many views and we want, we think we need these features, we better add them on. We've got to do this certain amount of work and stuff like that. We're trying to get people to think, what, like, what is the minimum amount of work we can do to achieve these outcomes? And I guess, you know, it's nothing particularly, it's kind of obvious, really, that, that this is what you want. But it's become increasingly thought about, I, I reckon, recently, especially since COVID and remote working with people having to think about how they trust their employees to get on with their work when they're not being overlooked and so on. And so a lot of organizations have really had to think hard about this. What are the outcomes that they want people to achieve? It's also great for the employees themselves, because 
you're asking people to be kind of self-organizing, to manage themselves, to experiment. So they've got a certain amount of autonomy and freedom to find the best way to deliver the outcomes rather than just kind of churning out the same output, outputs as they have done before. And I guess maybe linked to that, really, to me, there's something there around perhaps working more as a team. And we've definitely seen yes. more of a trend towards that and being part of something and how your work contributes to the broader work of the team and team success, which is great. But I guess that's quite interesting when you think about how you manage an individual's success, but how that contributes at a team level. So what was my role in driving the team outcome? And just wonder yeah. what your thoughts were around that and what you're seeing. Yeah, I think that's a it's a really interesting point. And I think so first of all, you one, one, one of the kind of challenges that I think organizations have is that actually defining these outcomes that they're trying to achieve is quite challenging sometimes. And it's or it can be countercultural. And so we have to kind of get managers and team leaders thinking more in those terms than of kind of um, micromanaging and kind of assessing individual contributions as kind of with with as much scrutiny as they might have done before. So that is hard and all, all organizations have to sort of make that shift and it will, you know, it can take a while. You still need to look at individual contributor performance as well. And I think, you know, there are various frameworks that people use to do this. So for example, if you're using OKRs, for example, you might think of individual initiatives. So things that an individual is tasked to deliver to to um, that will kind of help achieve the, the team's OKR as a whole. And, and just what you've said there about, you know, the shift being hard. I was reading sort of a few weeks ago, something from a particular survey that was done, which said that when goals and accountabilities across teams are clear, employees are twice as likely to be more engaged. Kind of sounds obvious. Yeah. So that's really good, you know, linkage. But at the same time, only 40% of employees in that particular survey across those organisations even knew what their company's goals were. I mean, to me, that's kind of fascinating because surely the ability to say this is our strategic objective as an organization this is what that means in terms of what we're focusing on and why and cascading that should be quite simple should it not so that surprised me slightly yes i it sort of doesn't surprise me but but i am equally horrified but uh, <laughs> <laughs> i think it is something that it can be a challenge for many organizations it's certainly one of our for our system you know it's one of our key pillars alignment we can talk about those later but alignment is a key thing that everybody is not only performing to their best and giving their best and happy doing so, but they're also doing the right sort of work. So they are aligned to those company goals and objectives. And I think that it's very easy for managers and leaders to forget how often they or how important it is for them to keep banging on about the company's objectives the whole time. And you need to be passionate about them and bring them into everything that you're doing and talking about. And really, that as a senior leader, that is your job is to, um, you know, get everybody on board with these objectives so there can be no, no missing out on that vital information. Yeah, it's a bit like that old adage of the um, guy at NASA who was doing the cleaning. It's a really old sort of, I don't know if this is an urban legend or not. And I think it was JFK even walked past and said, what do you do? And his response was, well, I help put rockets on the moon. Like he's just the janitor. But actually, he's got that mindset, that kind of, he's got that vision of the organization and he's embedded into it. And that's what you want to transmit, isn't it? When you're creating a, the outcomes driven performance culture, because the janitor may just be sweeping the floors to make sure that's clean and, you know, doing his job. But ultimately he's bought in 
to that concept of the overall outcome of what I'm doing is dialing up to putting rockets, putting man on the moon. Absolutely. And there's a, a possibly terrible quote from Henry Ford, which where he said, you know, the great thing about hiring people is that you get a free brain with every pair of hands. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> But I think hopefully what he was getting at there is that if you tell people what you're trying to achieve, you know, let them use their own imagination to, to go and achieve it. That's kind of the most empowering and engaging way to treat your workforce is to just say, look, this is what we're trying to achieve. Anyone got any good ideas can help us get there. Everybody can contribute. You can all make a difference, including that janitor in the NASA corridor. And that's, you know, hugely empowering. And so, again, it just goes back to this thing of, you know, your role as a senior leader is just to keep banging on about these goals. And I think sort of linked to that, I guess, when thinking about goals and outcomes, it's also if you're focusing in that way, the behaviours that you demonstrate in achieving those and clearly the way that someone behaves, the way that someone feels is a reciprocate of someone's behaviour, always then links back to culture again. So it's a virtuous thing to look at, I guess. But it's a slightly different way of the traditional, I need you to do X by Y timeframe. Very different conversation, I guess, as a a line manager and leader perhaps to have in developing someone and rewarding them, I guess, as well off the back of that too, particularly if it's team-based. And maybe, Roly, if we kind of go back to your point around alignment, you know, you alluded to the fact that there are sort of three kind of key pillars that that you think about around performance, I guess, linking to talent and learning as well. Perhaps Mm. if you could elaborate on those and then we'll talk about perhaps how organisations might use some data to help drive some of those things. Sure. Okay. So what we're trying to do with Appraised is we're trying to help organisations execute on their strategy. That's the, the fundamental thing. We're trying to get them to, they, they, they've chosen their strategy and we're trying to get them to get better at delivering on it. And we want to do that now and also make it sustainable for the future as well. So we've chosen three kind of ways to, to tackle this. The first one is through performance. So you won't be surprised to hear that our system includes things like performance reviews, competency evaluations, and skills development, and so on. So that's kind of performance. We're getting people to really perform at their best and enjoy doing so. The second one is the alignment that I already mentioned. So that's through things like goals that, are, that contribute to other people's or other departments' goals. So you can really see how everything kind of feeds into the overall company's goals. I think that's really, really important. And then the third one is how we get this kind of execution of strategy on over the longer term, and that's through progression of your people. So we all know how important it is to retain your talent. And one of the best ways to do that is to give them a sense of purpose and progression. And so hence the progression side of the, the application, which uh, helps people understand and get to grips with their career goals, their development needs that they need to work on to get there and get that kind of praise and recognition that they value so much. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, so let's focus then in on Emma just mentioned on the data side of it. So how can businesses get better at using data to actually drive these three areas. So you talked about the performance, the alignment, and then the, the progression of people. You know, most of what we do now is online somewhere. So the, the data is typically out there. It could be sales figures in a CRM. It could be tickets in Atlassian or Jira or something like that. It could be some data from Google Data Studio or something like that. So off, quite often the data does exist. And if it doesn't, then you may need to invest time in in 
getting hold of that data and getting kind of analytics and logging in place in your organization. So if you don't know whether, you know, how many customer tickets are being solved per day or whatever, then, you know, that probably step one is to get hold of that data. But then the second challenge after that is once you've got all this, and most organizations do, it's often, the data is often available in one dashboard or another. And it's sometimes just not part of the management kind of typical practice practices to refer to that data as frequently as they should, or really put it in front of the employees, you know, in the way that they could. One of the things that we found quite interesting with some of our clients are doing some quite interesting things. So we've got a large recruitment organization where they do check-ins on appraised every quarter and they, in that particular check-in, they pull in data from Power BI. It's right there in the check-in. So you answer your some questions around how you're doing, what your level of communication has been with your colleagues, how you're feeling and so on. But also then here are your results from the last quarter. How did you go about them? Is there anything you could do differently next month or next quarter and so on? So you can integrate these data sources more easily now than you could have done, let's say, three or four years ago. And I think that's becoming incredibly powerful. I know some organizations where someone will do a review for their sales team, just like I mentioned with Power BI, another person will do a review with their tech lead and look at the number of releases that were done in the last month for example. And it's all in one system. You don't have to go digging around. Um, you know, it, it does require some a, a small kind of investment in setting this up. But once once you're there, then it really lends itself to this kind of outcome-oriented culture. And how many businesses are actually doing that? How many are delving into that data? How many are, in your experience, good at it? I would say few are good at it, but it is getting, it's becoming more and more pressing. And people are asking us more and more for, for help or other consultancy who kind of specialize on in data analytics and so on. But it's what's what's been really interesting to see is that actually it's sometimes the smaller companies that really obsess over this. Perhaps the smaller, fast growing companies and they really think that they, they just they think there's got to be a way to do this. We've got to be a way to tie all these uh, data sources together, surely, you know, and that's their kind of starting point. Whereas the larger, older organizations can be a bit more of a challenge for them. They may not have the right resources internally, or there might be other issues to deal with as well. Maybe, Roly, I'm just wondering, do you think that some of that propensity for the smaller organizations to just be more innovative is because as they're smaller, maybe by default, they're slightly newer, they're fast growing, they just are more creative. So it's part of their culture, I guess, versus a larger organization maybe has historic ways of working, maybe has way too much data out there. They just don't know where to start as much as also the point that you said around does just a team, potentially it's the HR team, have the capabilities to think about, well, what hypotheses do I want to test here? What, yeah. Therefore, what data points do I bring in? Just interested as to what you think the reason for that shift is, I guess, or the difference is. I think it sort of alluded to, I think it is simpler for the smaller organizations. For the larger ones, yeah, quite often we're, we're dealing with legacy systems, things that are, or systems that are being transitioned from one into another, and you have to kind of manage a whole load of interdependencies and so on. And I'm sure that's the kind of thing that you guys are good at. So yes, it is certainly easier. But I think that often it's the smaller ones where perhaps you've got a leader or a CEO who is has really set out with a kind of outcome focus from the start. And they just don't see any reason why they shouldn't have all this data at their fingertips. And it's almost like I'm not going to put any system in place or do any work unless I can measure its outcomes. It's a lot easier to turn a uh, little speedboat, a brand new speedboat than it is to turn 
and P&O Cruise Liner. Oh, I shouldn't have used a brand name. Sorry. Cruise Liner X. <laughs> it's a lot more difficult to turn those types of behemoths, and particularly if they've already started on their journey, so to speak, to really stretch out this metaphor far beyond where it needs to be stretched out. But I wanted to, um, unless Ems has got any more questions on that, I wanted to actually start talking as one of the things we talked about was contractors and gig economy workers, because that's really, really fascinating to me. How do you actually develop that? How can you drive performance managers for people that are potentially only on a short-term assignment with you? I don't know, we could be talking a month, we could be talking six months or whatever it is. It's a, mm. it's a real challenge to be able to do that. And particularly when you've got these large organizations that maybe they've only got annual processes and you've got somebody coming in for six months. It's like, well, how do I performance manage that? Or even if you have businesses that do quarterly performances, you know, unless you've got organizations and I'm thinking with the types of clients that we work with, you know, these large, you know, 100,000 employees plus yeah. tend to have very specific points in the year in which they'll be running performance management. How, where do you even start from a, from a gig economy, a, a contractor worker point of view? Because many of these organizations will also have thousands of contractors yes. potentially working. With them. Many of whom have probably been there for years without ever yeah. having had a, any kind of performance review. Uh, I think it's really interesting and it, I mean, it's fascinating. I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well, because I'm sure you, you've experienced this. But personally, I think that the technology is an enabler of this. So the new tech can make this very easy. So the challenge is actually really a cultural one for me. It's to do with how people kind of habitually consider contractors. So also maybe we could separate out the gig economy from the, I don't know, the other contractors who yeah, yeah. maybe uh, yeah, are there yeah, for a long time. But you know, with them, I think they often start off very outcome focused and they'll be brought in to do something and say, right, this is what we want you to do. We want you to increase our sales conversion rate from 15 to 20%, something like that. But then it sort of gets lost and added to the technical solution. If there is one, they are considered slightly different. It's almost, it, I, I feel like it's almost a taboo to kind of measure the performance of your contractors in a way that is in a kind of developmental way and say, oh, look, you know, I think also you could really do with this. These, you've got some areas for development here. I think go away and, and work on those and, and, you know, might consider this and so on. And what would you like to do in three months time or six months time that kind of thing just there's a sort of taboo around it I think in my experience I don't know if you've experienced the same yeah I mean I'm thinking particularly about people who might be on fixed term contracts you know to your point Chris mm. maybe up to six months or six months beyond or, or interim roles you're there with a discrete definite purpose in mind probably not likely to stay much longer well you might do actually you should probably be having those conversations to bring them as part of the team you know you are part of a team you're there doing a very discreet piece of work but that will be with other individuals so how are you contributing to everything they're doing some people might not care about that if you're on FTC um, an interim you might not care about that but as an organization I think the question is should you care as an organization and, and how do you bring them in obviously I recognize that with some of the legislation you have to be careful with things but we're talking here about people who are on FTCs versus just, you know, contractors who might be coming in doing an hour here and there and that broader kind of gig economy piece. I don't think we've solved that, at least in the conversations that I've had with, with some of kind of the HR directors that we work with. But if we're going to think about an inclusive culture, you have to think about how you bring those individuals in. What what information you're sharing with them? What are you inviting them to? How do you make them feel part of something? And again, to your point, really, you know, if you're investing in bringing someone in for a particular project, particular outcome that you're looking to achieve, how do you measure the success of that person? Particularly as someone who brought the individual in, if you want to then do another similar piece of project work, well, how are you saying, hey, that really worked well and that type of individual was brilliant that's why I want to do x again for example absolutely I think you don't want contractors to escape accountability just because they're 
a contractor. So I think absolutely put in a system in place to measure the outcomes uh, that you're looking to achieve and put it in front of them regularly. So to me, it makes sense for them to go on a on a system and to have for an organization, like you said, Chris, with, you know, 100,000 employees with many, many contractors, you want to know that there's a system for getting the, the most out of those contractors. Yeah, I think it's also, as M said, it's very difficult to find that answer, particularly when I was when you were just talking, Ems, I was thinking about that alignment piece. How do you get and again, I'm going to bring back my janitor who works in NASA. Let's just say that guy's on a six month or a three month contract. How do you then get that guy to have the same mindset as that I put men on the moon? Because they're normally just focused on my outputs, my little world. I've just got to do my job as a contractor, get to the end of my piece, and then I'm done and I step back. And so getting them into that mindset, I think it's a massive challenge. And it's sort of linked to that on the flip side. As a manager of a team, I might have a mixed workforce, FTCs, permanent employees. I kind of want my manager's manager to get feedback on me as a manager from all of that team. So there's that two-way piece. You know, we're talking here about creating culture. Well, we know that line managers drive culture really in organizations and, and leaders drive culture. So actually, as much as looking at the outputs and rather outcomes or outputs of people that you've got in your team, it's getting the feedback from the team, all inclusive team on the managers that's also important. So that's something else I think we kind of need to think about too. Absolutely. Yep. I think that's absolutely right. And a good manager will go and seek that kind of feedback and know that that's something that is going to make a huge difference to their team and go out and get it. Well, shorter podcast, ever so slightly shorter, but uh, a really interesting one. This topic, I think it's a very difficult one to find all of the answers, but I think it's thought provoking, actually. And that's what I hope Mm. that we've done today, actually, with some people that are thinking about how do I develop my business? How can we have more of a an outcomes-driven performance culture. Of course, I'm going to say, why don't you talk to Lace? But um, that's the shameless part plug and the only shameless plug that um, we'll do on the podcast today. Roly, it's been absolutely fantastic for having you on. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. It's been great. Do you want to tell people where they can find you? Yes. Uh, you can I go mean, to not literally page. like your house or anything, but you know, <laughs> on, online and social media and things. Yes, social media would be fine. Um, yeah, you can go to appraise.com, of course, but I'm also on LinkedIn and I love connecting with everyone on LinkedIn and um, love questions and provocative posts and things like that on LinkedIn. So that, that would be great. Just come and find me there, Roly Walter. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Roly. And Ems, thank you very much as always. Thanks, Chris. Uh, you can find this podcast on Spotify, Stitcher. I've probably done this so many times, I'm going to stop doing it. But all the places that you get your podcasts, it's been fabulous having you joining us on the HR on the Offensive podcast. We hope you'll join us again next week. But there's nothing else for me left to say other than we will see you next time on the HR on the Offensive podcast. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.